Welcome to Big 20, a roundtable discussion of where GMs from all walks of life discuss gaming and field questions from viewers. Hosts this week are Chad from Fear the Boot and Morning Sky, Pedro from World Walkers, and Wayne from Fear the Boot. This week, we are talking about working with failure. Let's start with Chad. <laughs> Ouch. I feel attacked. <laughs> you gigantic dick. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything to comment on this, Eric. I just don't know if I ever fail or anything. No. Uh, so when you say working with failure, are you talking about when the players fail or when the GM fails or both? Uh, mostly both. I, I mean, if, if the player fails and where uh, to uh, move the story forward, or maybe uh, you have to take a direction that maybe you didn't anticipate because of monumental failure. When, when the GM fails, when I fail, um, which I do probably at every game, at least uh, there's always something, pardon me, that I'm kicking myself in the butt for. Uh, I find it best. Well, I find it best just to keep going as if nothing happened and try to kind of maybe course correct a little bit in flight. Uh, I, I don't really, I, I'm a big believer in momentum in games when, when you're running them. And I don't really like stopping the momentum to say, I messed up here, guys. I'm sorry. Can we do this or do that? As long as the problem isn't huge. Um, but I also have the advantage of, I usually don't notice that I mess up. Until the game is over, and it's a couple hours after the game, and I'm like, no, why did I do this? <laughs> so it, the whole keeping the momentum going kind of works naturally for me, I guess. Yeah, the best thing about failing as a GM is that the players have no idea you just failed. Right. I'm a big fan of the players have no idea what I came in prepped for, what I expected, any of that. So they don't know that I just failed, and I'm winging it now. Mm-hmm. I think it really helps to also not run games that have a common currency. Uh, what I mean by that is D and D is fine. You know, D and D is elves and dwarves and whatever. And, and then it's fantasy and you just kind of spread from there. Even if it's a, an established setting, there, there's lots of room in there to move around. Whereas something like Dr. Who or star Wars, you know, you might have, the Star Wars Uber nerd in your party. And when you make a mistake, you know, that's, it's like, wait a minute. No, Darth Vader did not have a green <laughs> helmet. He had a black helmet. What do you think you're doing? You're ruining it for everyone. Uh, it, at that point. Yeah. It, it's kind of hard to say, well, uh, let's just keep going. Yeah, failing as a player, unless it's a constant failing over and over and over again, just makes a more interesting story. Yeah. Chad's actually, I think he's lucky that when he runs, a lot of times he has me in the group because I'll intentionally fail as the character. Mm -hmm. uh, example from our 5e game, uh, Chad was running 5e. I was playing a 19-year-old wizard who, idea being he's young and he's not experienced. Spell like alarm, you can set to be completely quiet. As a seasoned player, I know I can make this completely quiet. My 19-year-old doesn't know this, so he sets alarm to blare as loud as possible, giving Chad the opportunity to have all of his NPCs that are attacking us at night get alerted as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it I think that it is incumbent upon a, a game master to hand out failure. Uh, and I'm not talking rocks fall, everybody dies sort of thing. I'm, I'm not talking like the players do something awesome or intelligent or interesting and you take that away from them because uh, that, that's not good. But when they're trying things, I, I think it's okay to just say, well, what you tried just didn't work out if it logically does not seem to work out. Fail, failure creates opportunity for story. Stories rely on tension and they rely on overcoming things. I mean, if, if there's a hero's journey and the hero does nothing but succeed, 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 succeed all the time, then, you know, it, it, it's boring. I mean, there's there's just really nothing to it. It's like, what's going to happen next? Well, we all know what's going to happen next. He's going to win constantly. Yeah, if there's... a victory is too easy, I don't feel like I've earned it, and I'm less interested in it. Mm-hmm. If I'm going into a combat, and I know there's no way I'm going to lose, then there's no risk. There's no – I don't care about it. And that's just combat. I mean, we, we do a lot of uh, social failings as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, the, uh, you know, it's a very fine line failure for a game master to, to tread. I mean, on one hand, you know, handing out failure to make the story interesting. On the other hand, the players just fail. I mean, you, you as a game master are just sitting there watching the, the scene unfold, and the players just do not succeed. Uh, Yes, it creates tension and it creates story. It creates role play opportunity. It builds character. It gives them a path for success to make success meaningful and interesting. There's also uh, an opposite side of that coin too, where you have nothing but failure. It's like, why am I following these characters' story? I know exactly what's going to happen. Just like on the other side of the coin, I know exactly what's going to happen they're going to succeed and that's boring. The other side of the coin is I know exactly what's going to happen. They're going to fail. Not only is that boring, it's fucking miserable. <laughs> I mean, it's just awful because I've played not in a long time, you know, this is more, more the teenage years with some very predatory GMs where it was just like, I do this. Well, that doesn't work. Well, then I do this. Well, that doesn't work. Well, can I roll some sort of knowledge check and see if I can get a clue or something Okay, do it. Okay, man, Nat Twink, you know, crit, knowledge check. Yeah, okay, here's the knowledge on. Oh, well, based on that knowledge, I do this. Not fails. Doesn't do anything. I'm like, why am I here? Why did I show up? It's, yeah. That's not role play. Well, and different players seem to enjoy different types of failures more than others. So one of the criticisms I've heard a lot about Powered by the Apocalypse type games is that it, you hardly ever just succeed. It's always succeed at a cost. Right. For a lot of people, that makes a really interesting story. For some people, they need to sometimes succeed, sometimes fail. And the blending of both of them together makes it feel like instead of them realizing you're always succeeding, they feel like they're always failing because they'll focus on the consequence side instead of you did it. Yeah. Well, and there's also a, with games like Powered by the Apocalypse, where there is a sort of built-in failure, um, there is what I call a failure loop. This is what I found when I was 
I was designing my two games, um, that there, it is possible. Well, the, one of the games I haven't, I haven't put out yet is that you can fail and failure mechanically can lead to another failure, which can lead to another failure, which can lead to another failure, which can lead to another failure. And it's like the, the first time I like tried to play test this, this mechanic I was playing with, the, we spent like two hours and we had a lot of fun and we were telling a lot of story. We were doing a lot of role play and the group had so many chain failures from this, you know, dice rolling sort of powered by the apocalypse, if you want to think about it that way, mechanic, that they never made it two feet past the front door. It was like a failure to pick the lock, a failure to open the door, failure to the guards came by, lured the guards, blah, 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 blah. And we had a lot of fun, but then we were sitting there like nothing happened except this <laughs> cascading waterfall of badness. So, you, and I think that you could, it, it's not just like a powered by the apocalypse thing or any kind of those narrative games where there is a mechanical RP failure. It's um, it's the it's the tension, it's the balance of the of the tensions, because it's the game master's job to constantly be adjusting everything. You know, you you turn up the comedy, you turn down the comedy. You you turn up the danger, you turn down the danger. You turn up the tension, you turn down the tension. Failure and success is also one of those things that you have to keep your eye on and you have to keep leveling. Honestly, if the players are succeeding too much, you gotta throw maybe not direct failure at them. You could start with doing more challenging obstacles and and monsters or whatever your your jam is for your game. But you know, if they're if they're failing too much too, you kind of gotta throw them a bone every now and again. Um, I had a I had a player like in this 5e game that we're talking about where unlike Wayne where she was trying to to fail because it was for interesting character stuff she kind of came from a D&D tradition where it was a more predatory GM and it was more of a old school game where it was a lot more combat so a lot more precise you you had to things were more on a, a knife edge so, so to speak, and it was like less role play -y. Um And so everybody had to be on their game. And so for her, playing different classes, going up against certain monsters, being in certain situations, like, well, this is a failure. Oh, well, I used up all my spells for the day. I'm done. I'm, I'm completely toast. We're, I'm done. I might as well just walk away. I'm done because I used all my, my spells. I'm done. And so like, well, the game isn't like that anymore. You know, it's not 1983. You, we're, we're kind of past that now. And Everything that we could do to tell her this, it was so programmed into her mind from all those years and years and years of playing one kind of, of game that I, I, I had to like, I had to come up with this, this combat encounter for her because in 5e you have, she's a sorceress, she had uh, her cantrips. Well, in 5e cantrips are your like, like your base attack. Yeah, your yeah, your your fighter has all these these abilities and stuff, but he can always swing his sword. And mages don't have that. Except in five E, they have cantrips and they have these zap sort of attacks. And she had Ray of Frost. That was her, her thing. She's kinda of doing a cold theme. Ray of Frost. 
had this big encounter on a volcano, had the, their, their NPC, who was a big bad guy, not, not bad, he's a big powerful guy, got knocked out of the fight immediately by this really powerful thing. And they were like, oh shit, we're going to die. And this big powerful thing comes out of the lava. And it's this like haunted suit of armor, basically. And the armor is glowing white hot. It's metal armor. It's white hot. I'm like looking at her. Like, she's like, oh, magic missile, magic missile, do this, that, that, that. And she blows through all of her spells. And I'm like, and you know, it's just like, it wasn't about that. It was doing damage and stuff. But she, I was like, it's white hot. It is just, you could feel the heat coming off of the metal armor. And, She's just like, no, I'm, I'm, I cast all my spells. We're dead. I can't, we can't do anything. We're done. I, you know, she's, she got into that mental loop and I don't know. I, I'm Wayne was kind of in on it. I think yeah. I gave Wayne the wink and the nudge and Wayne kind of in character was like, why don't you use your ray of frost cantrip on the white, hot glowing armor <laughs> sort of thing. And she's like, but it's just a cantrip. It's like, do it and uh you know everybody's getting their bucket and she's like zap boom the armor explodes and all this sort of stuff and she like was able to save the day but through that giving her that success like really heavy handed (laughs) handing her directing her turning her head and pointing her at that success changed how she played it it, it it made that sort of light bulb moment for her that re- I think really helped her out. So giving out failures as a GM is actually something I struggle with. I find frequently things become too easy. Uh, part of that for me is I tend to be the type of person that I, I'm beholden to my own roles. So I will fudge the, the roles in the player's favor, but I never do it against and I remember in a Dresden Files game, the players looked at me and said, it's okay, you can fudge your rolls against us. We'd like to be hit sometimes. And I look at the last campaign I ran, which was not one of my better campaigns, but it was a uh, Hollow Earth game. And I think the final bad guy went down way too easy. It was... Just, Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> your, your final bad guy was Adolf Hitler... Leader in mecha armor. Ranks. In mecha yeah. armor. Yep. <laughs> and I think he went down too easy. <laughs> so that is something I really struggle with is handing out the failures to the players and being more, I guess, more ruthless for, with them than I need to be more to get a better story out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can do it with the story aspects. I'm, I think I'm pretty good at doing a story aspect. Yeah. It's when it actually comes to combat that's where I fail at giving them failures. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my things on my list that I need to work on. I don't, I guess I don't, I'm, I don't understand the idea. Of, uh, I don't, I've never heard the term like giving out a failure. What is this concept? I guess is, is new to me in a certain sense. I still don't know if I understand it exactly. Well, I mean, some games actually have the built in as mechanics of, you know, when you roll, when you roll, you give out, they succeed, but you come up with an interesting failure for them to come with it. Uh, there are also games where that's just kind of built in as a mechanic of you're never rolling dice, so you're giving failures instead. You just declare things that happen to them. 
But when mm. it comes to, I guess mechanic-wise, it's not necessarily giving out failures when it comes to combat. I just make things too easy so they end up not failing. Yeah, I, I think that is a, a good way to look at it is handing out failures is not necessarily sitting there, you're writing your GM notes and saying, hmm, yes, here, here, I will crush the party. It, it's more like, you know, the party's kind of been crushing me for a while. I think I need to challenge them. Yeah, I, I, I did that to Chad's character in a Dresden game. Mm-hmm. Chad's character was a big, bulky beast of a character. He was a troll. Kind of like me. Yeah. <laughs> he was a troll. And he was just running over some of the challenges presented. So he went and got himself off by himself. And I presented a challenge that had mental abilities instead of physical. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think that was the first combat that he was taken out. He was actually completely knocked out purely on mental abilities. And it was because I realized it's not very much fun if you win all the time. I needed to give him something that was a challenge specifically for his character. Mm-hmm. I guess in that regard, I think I understand it then. Like the, uh, the example I guess I would give you, tell me if this is what we're talking about. I had a group of players and they went into every battle the same way. They would search out the casters uh, this is in 3.5, and they would slit their throats and break their wrists every time. That was their main tactic because they are like, you can't, they can't cast spells or they can't talk and they can't move their hands, right? Huh. And so I put them up against the school, you know, kids, and it didn't change anything. Ooh, <laughs> I went in there. Wow. And they did their business. And that's when I started <laughs> there, coming up with this rule. Is that, their like, business evil their their <laughs> business was that they were after an archmage who got a hold of a deck of many things that he could manipulate and they fucking hated him for it so i warned them that like with all these you know if i my rule is that if players can do it uh monsters can do it um mm-hmm. so like you can have second wind in D if you want but man it sucks when the cyclops stands up and goes and then now he's got a fucking full hit point. Um, so they, I said, like, if you're gonna keep doing called shots and shit, like, just know that the the you know the monsters can do it too. They're like, fuck these kids. Let's <laughs> let's get some information out of one. That was a dark scene. So um, I came yeah. up with this character named Nemos that um, he found them at night, and he had an assistant who put locked gauntlets on him. And he ran in there and I gave him every feat necessary to fight them because they had built up essentially what I would consider such bad, like fucked up karma that he burst in there. He had sundered a couple weapons. He had sundered an arm. Uh, he had slit the cleric's throat, like all these crazy fucked up things. And they beat him by getting away. But like they had like some kind of trauma. <laughs> and I don't know if that's what you're all talking about. You're talking about handing out to failures. Yeah. Well, and like in that case, all the things they've done, they're building a reputation. People would know their modus operandi at that point. Yeah. And you can easily within the realm of, you know, the game have people that counter things like that. Because that's, if yeah, they're that's known for doing it, then yeah, they, it's too successful. They need a challenge. One of the players like got taken and turned into 
he gave up his character, but long story short, they, he had, his story was that he was the long lost prince of a kingdom and they had built a reputation. So eventually the kingdom found him. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I think, but I think, is that what you're all talking about then? Well, there's a, there's a lot of different aspects of it. And there's also a lot of like couching, handing out failures in terms of you're not actually targeting anyone. There's, there's usually a situation that's a meta situation that you want to, you know, adjust like the party is just winning too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, we have a question from chat, uh, young one to engage is kind of putting their heads together on this one, um, using failure as like a meta currency. So offering the players, say a Benny or inspiration to voluntarily fail. What do you guys think about that? I, I've, I don't, I've done something similar to that. So of the different worlds that I run, one is called Pasmos and this is a fucked up terror world. And we did the thing where um, it is kind of based off a Cortex subsystem, but the idea was that players could at any point, even if they failed, um, elect to succeed, knowing that they were essentially giving the darkness of that world a sort of uh, currency that the darkness could eventually spend on them. So that system was really fun because they would be in really fucked up situations they would need to pull themselves out. And so they were choosing to fail, but it was like a credit card. Mm-hmm. That's, that's <laughs> kind of cool. There's, uh, there's a GM that I play under sometimes that frequently does what he calls black bennies. They are bennies that sit in the middle of the table. And he started this in a, a zombie games that he would run. And if you fail at any point, anyone can take these. They're for the team to use. But when you use one, it goes to the GM, and the GM can now use it on the NPCs against you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a that's lot kind of, of system. The, oh, good. Yeah, so that's kind of the opposite of that. I mean, I run a lot of Dresden, so that's built into the system. Yeah. You are constantly bribing people to fail based on their stat, you know, based on their uh, aspects. Mm. Savage Worlds has a system like that. One of the optional systems in the Adventure Edition is that uh, instead of GMs getting an automatic set number of uh, bennies, when players spend them, GMs get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of systems out there that have some sort of uh, economy-type system. With uh, I, I think most of them are more you know, like a Binny system where, where the player gets a little push or maybe twist a little reality or get a little bonus. And then the economy, it, it kind of boomerangs back to the game master who can then turn around and give the bad guys a little push or a little twist of reality or a little, little bonus or something like that. Um, you know, the, the, the straight up, you, okay, you tried this. If, you choose not to succeed, I will give you this, is that it's not in many systems. Uh, I mean, Blades in the Dark and Power by Apocalypse kind of sort of has that with Devil's Bargains in a way, depending on how you use them. Yeah, but so I, you're usually not choosing to fail then. You're yeah. taking the Devil's Bargain hoping to succeed. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, to succeed more. Yeah. Yeah, Fate is the closest I can think of where you're mm-hmm. invoking aspects to specifically say, 
something negative is going to happen to you, here's a, you know, here's a fate point. Right. Yeah. And, and also with fate, it is not necessarily just failure either. It's, here's this aspect that I, as a fellow player, want to see your character explore a bit more. It, it's not even necessarily like you're an alcoholic and I've never seen you drink in game. I'm spending a Benny. We're at a bar. You lose it. You know, you, you, you saddle up to the bar and you start getting tanked. Um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily even have to be like that. It, it could be more like, you know, your character is a happy-go-lucky character, but man, the team has just been getting pounded because we got this this game master who listened to Gamer's Table and all these DMs on Big 20 <laughs> told him to hand out failures, and it's just been so rough and awful, especially on this one player. And he's just not been really happy-go-lucky lately. And so I'm like, hey, man, we're at a bar. It's Cinco de Mayo. I'm spending a Benny. You're getting tanked, and it's going to be great. <laughs> we, <laughs> you know, uh, it could be stuff like that. Dread has a failure mechanic that I think would fit into this. I don't know if anyone played failure, uh, Dread before. Mm -hmm. but, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so Dread has that, right, where um, you, for those that don't know, Dread is a horror story centered around a Jenga tower. Every time you want to try something, you got to pull a brick and place it up top. And as long as the tower doesn't fall, you succeeded. If the tower falls, you die. Your character's dead. That's it. Well, there is a mechanic in there um, where the if you suddenly realize, and I'm, I haven't played it very, I've only played a little bit, but the way I understand it is that you can elect to fail but mm -hmm. to give yeah. success to something else. Like, I got to get this car started. Zombies are shuffling down the hill. My friends are waiting for me to get back to the little hut that they're all hiding in. We got to go, we got to go. And they see the tower and it's ever so, uh, it's leaning in such a terrible way. They're like, fuck it. I'm going to get out and push the car and try to get it started knowing that I'm not going to be able to jump back in. Mm -hmm. I sacrifice myself. Yeah. So first first Dread Jake game that uh, Chad played in, I remember him telling me that's how he ended it was knock the tower over. Yep, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's that's how I've seen a lot of them in too. Because which I find interesting. This is not really on topic, but I that's one of the things I find interesting in all the different Dread type games that I've played is that in most traditional role playing games, the game master has a story. The story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. In, in one sitting, you know, it, it, it kind of rolls into a conclusion. The game master says, okay, this is the end, or here's a cliffhanger, or I think that's a good stopping place for tonight. The vast majority of Dread games I've played, the players decide it's the end. Mm -hmm. And the, they usually do that, not by, oh, well, we've pulled so many out of the Jenga tower and it falls, and oh, hey, that's great, let's all go get a beer now. It's more like they've gone through this thing and I, I feel because it's horror, and horror is all about tension, and mm -hmm. tread is a tension mechanic. And I think that the story gets to a narrative critical mass, and then it goes beyond that, and that's the release of the tension of, like, we've wrapped it up, and then somebody says, okay, we're good. I sacrifice myself to save everybody. 
And then that's the final release of all the tension in the end. I, I think that, that I, I find it fascinating because it's not generally game master driven. It is player driven to, to end it that way. I, I, I always found that really cool. I've only run, I'll just wrap this up real quick. I've only uh, run like one full on dread game and it was inside a murder house with mm -hmm. gas slowly seeping in to kill everybody. They had a time limit and um, they were all too greedy to kick over the tower and end it. <laughs> I just felt like, wow, what a great way to end. There's a bunch of kids at the end. I felt like that said a lot about where they're going to go in life. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I've ever actually seen anyone do the intentional tower knockover. I haven't either. Any but, of the uh, ones I've played. I've heard about them. I've heard the stories, but I've done, I've played one actual Dread game and then multiple versions of two of the games that Chad has released. He has lovingly stolen from Dread's role mechanic. <laughs> There's a really interesting question in the chat. I don't, um, I don't know if you guys saw this or not from uh, Angry Cheese Toast that says, do you guys have any funny player fail stories? And I, there is one that we sing every time, but I, I don't know if you guys want to go first on this. Hmm, funny fails. Why don't you go first? Because I, yeah. I, I need to think about this for a minute. <laughs> so, the one I'm thinking of immediately is... Um, the group is fortified in this fortress. They're terrified that the, des the destiny-led uh, generals of the Elven Empire are going to come in and kick down their door and fuck them over. They know that they're X amount of uh, hours away. And so the group is like, we've got to fortify here. And there's one cocky player who's like, give me a few people, a few NPC, basically soldiers. <laughs> we go out and we fucking night raid. We go out there, we find them. <laughs> we take out their, their forces. They've got summoners. They can summon elementals. Let's go fuck them up. They go off into the woods. It takes four hours to travel to the camp. They get to the camp there. It's him and a bunch of lizard folk. They get out there and they find out there's about 10 summoners who are just pulling elementals out of the earth and through the fire and flames that they have surrounding them. There's an entire selection of archers. And the player that let them all out there, he goes, oh, fuck, okay. But if I lead all the lizard folk into their encampment, can I take out the important people as they get slaughtered? Spoilers, he can't. It's terrible. The elementals wipe the lizard folk, and he has. If you uh, if you know anything about D and D math, everything is measured out in thirty feet or eight hours. That's all D and D math, right? <laughs> so <laughs> yep. he's traveled four hours. He can't get the spells back in time. He has already thrown out whatever firepower he has. He travels four hours back, just in time to warn everyone that they're all fucked. The summoners come in, the elementals come in, the players at the table are laughing, even though they know that they're kind of bone too, they're cracking up because he kept saying night raid, baby, fucking night raid. They don't even know what's <laughs> going on. Fucking night raid. So he comes back and he's like, guys, I'm fucked. I'm so, I, I don't know. We got to figure some shit out. And so several of the people who are fans of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, 
they just kept going night raid ah! <laughs> and to this day people sing that whenever someone goes <laughs> something goes wrong at the table whenever someone does some stupid shit someone will look at the other person and go night raid ah! <laughs> and the party got slaughtered um <laughs> one of the players was like he had his own theme song it was thunderstruck by acdc he challenges the general to try to win the battle it doesn't work he, <laughs> he only rolls twos and threes while thunderstruck is rocking out uh, he got killed. The the general rammed him with his sword. He's like, I have a destiny, stupid piece. Of just it was bad. But night raid <laughs> is our 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 call sign now. <laughs> so I don't know how funny it is, but I think it's relevant since uh, my failure story involves Eric. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> so this what this is the skies of glass AP that uh, Chad, Eric, and I are on, and uh, I am known for rolling really really poorly. Eric's character is down on the verge of death. My character crawls across the floor and decides I'm making a health roll to try to bandage him up. I tank the roll. Not only does it not heal him, it does the extra point of damage needed to kill this character. That is not the first time in that game that I have actually injured people trying to heal them and rolled really poorly <laughs> but this one was just amusing because it's uh, like i said it's relevant because it's eric mm-hmm. <laughs> i have i'm having a hard time thinking of funny failure stories oh man that's all i got like <laughs> <laughs> i mean for because a, a lot of my groups it it's a matter of I think the comedy is, is like Night Raid, right? Where it's like, man, fucking Night Raid, man, we're going to do a Night Raid. And it's like, this is the whole plan. And then the plan goes totally pear-shaped. And then they kind of keep pushing and failure. And it's like, go big or go home. And then that that's hilarious. My players, they don't ever have a plan. There's never a night raid plan to be had. And then they just throw themselves into things. And it's like they just kind of adapt on the fly. So the failure becomes the success because the narrative in their minds changed to that's what we were trying to do all along. Or they they maybe not lie to them. Maybe that's exaggeration, (laughs) but maybe they – they change the goalpost where it's like it, the plan is in mid flight and they're like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. Uh, we're not going to steal the plans from this guy, but uh, do you see that treasure room we passed? Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a bank heist now. Oh. And then they kind of, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's just constant, you know, redirection and, and refocus. See, we all, I'm full of stories where like a player, over encumbered himself because he knew that one day the weapons would come in handy and then they fought a bear and he got scared of the bear and he climbed a tree but he couldn't because over encumbered but he knew it would pay off because bears can't climb trees <laughs> what? there's no spin <laughs> oh that's like that's another good no, one you know my goal was my goal was to fall on top of the bear and be devoured to get no there's no spin. There's no spin when the player jumps inside of a water hole so he can lose the lizard folk because while the lizard folk can swim under the water, he's going to get cocky and that's his down. No, 
there's no spin on these stories. Like, <laughs> they, can't, they can't realign their goals. <laughs> Chad and I know a guy that uh, he was so averse to failure. He was really oh, yeah. old school. So I'm playing in a uh, – someone was running to run a Dungeon Crawl classic character funnel past us. And we're all sitting around the table, and this guy is playing an elf. And he climbs a tree and botches his roll and falls from the tree and dies. <laughs> so for the next 15 minutes, he's going on and on. How do I fall from a tree and die? I'm an elf. I'm an elf. I can't die falling I'm from an, a tree. That's right. I'm an elf. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, pl- I ran a game one time where a guy was playing a druid, an elven druid. And not like some crazy werewolf glass walker type thing where he was like all foresty nature covered in sticks and mud type druid, all natural. I don't even want to go in the village. They were chasing the guy and the guy ran up a tree and he's like, and they're in a forest. It's like his forest. He's like, (laughs) I set the tree on fire. You fucking what? And he's like, no, I set the tree on fire. He's not coming down. I'm going to kill. Like, you set the tree in the woods on fire. Like, you start a forest fire. You are a druid who started a forest fire to get one guy who's up a tree. He's like, yeah. And he just did not ever (laughs) understand what the sort of conundrum was with that is the worst druid ever (laughs) oh man yeah it seems like there should be a lot of stories but can't come up with any others so i've got a question for you what about we've talked about uh you know in in trying to do tasks and and combat and things like that what about failure in social roles or social manipulations things like that maybe even romance uh, you know like you're the druid or not the druid the the bard is trying to you know seduce someone and they botch it you know there's a there's a again it's it's all about this fine line it's all about the 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 tensions and the balancing things as a game master because usually the example is you know the players a there is they're trying to get to c and there is something in the way which is b so a has to go through b to get to c as a game master you want them to get to c because that's where the freaking story is b is just the part that makes it interesting and you know this is just all the nuts and bolts of it so they go to a club there's a bouncer at the door the contact who's going to give them the mission and the story info and they're going to get some clues about some some of the big meta plot you have in there it's all in the club bouncers there just because hey, it's a cool scene you know, they, they got to either, what are they going to do? They're going to talk the way past the bouncer. They're going to fight with them. They're going to sneak past them. How are they going to get past the bouncer? This is going to take 10 minutes in, out, done, just to add some spice. And they walk up to the bouncer. They're going to try and talk the way past them. And they don't. They just fail. They, they make their roles. You think it's just going to be easy. They've got a face. It's stuff like they got a face person in the crew, and they send the heavy lunkhead in to talk to him. Uh, and 
as a game master, like on one hand, that's actually really interesting to me. It, it's like I, I do that as a player a lot. Uh, if I'm in a leadership position, I will send the wrong person to do things. I do that in our Skies of Glass game, and, and everybody hates it like 20 minutes after they figure out what I've done. But I do it myself, like if I'm not the face man, I go and I try to talk to the person, because it makes for an interesting scene. It, the, and the scene in this example would be, you know, the heavy's trying to talk to you, and, you know, you're trying to talk to the to the to the guy and you make your roll of course you can't make it you have all these negatives and you botch it and then you role play that out and it makes a, a, a larger situation where suddenly you have to like start doing teamwork and stuff to get past this guy it's interesting to me it's an interesting story it's an interesting part of the story on the other hand you want them to get to you want them to get to see you gotta get them in the damn club and they can't get past the, your stupid bouncer that was only supposed to take like a couple of minutes and a couple of rolls. And it's, it, it's this eternal balance of what kind of story do you want to tell and what kind of story do the players want to tell as well? Because I've we're seen, all telling this together. I've seen a lot of GMs that I think they want to encourage the role play enough that they don't ask for the roles on the social things. And when that's happened, I've seen characters where the character has a incredibly low social score, but the player playing the character has an incredibly high charisma and never gets asked to roll any of the social skills because they go in and they reasonably role play it and everything makes sense. And that's something that the GM wants to encourage that kind of behavior. So they never actually ask for those roles. It's one of the reasons I've always liked the idea of asking for the role and then asking for it to be role played out. So that way, if uh, you're an incredibly charismatic person that's playing a non-charismatic character, rolls really poorly, they can now do a really good job of role playing out how they did a horrible job at trying to convince the person. You know, in, in chat, Relative Depod is the perfect example of how this thing with the bouncer actually goes down where it's like there's a bouncer you gotta get in the club they're gonna send somebody in and he's like dude just pay the cover it's 20 bucks just pay the cover <laughs> stand in line for 10 minutes pay the cover and walk in and it's, it's like no no i'm not paying the cover i have half a million credits in my credit account and i've got all these guns and i've got all these skills you want me to not use these skills and guns hell no and it's like yeah it is that every time it you know getting back to something that pedro was saying earlier where you know you were like i, I don't understand the concept like handing out failures why do we have to hand out failures? that that's the concept right there gms don't have to hand out failures players do it themselves Pay the goddamn cover! <laughs> Never pay the cover. They always get into a fight with the bouncer. The bouncer gives them a little bit of attitude because that's his job. He has to be intimidating so that people don't get into fights with him. Oh, yeah, he gave all... me some attitude and he's charging me 20 bucks? Hell no, I've got a rocket launcher. I don't have to put up with that shit. <laughs> I'm, a, all... I'm a big proponent of what you were saying earlier, Wayne, in that like, I think... I, I I really do agree with that in a certain in a, in a lot of ways too that like 
Uh, if somebody wants to climb a cliff, I've never asked them to step outside and, and take my wall on, on my house. Just, just show that they've got yeah. some basic level of strength. Conversely, I've a lot of times it's really easy for us to say, well, what do you say? And then I'll give you advantage. And I think the way that I try to balance that personally, I try to reward the idea, not the hustle. Mm-hmm. Like if you can put a spin on it, I try not to reward that nearly as much as what is the idea inside. In the same way that if someone comes up with a great idea on how they're going to bypass this physical obstacle, then yeah, maybe you reward that with a uh, advantage in D20 or, you know, in D and D or something, an extra Benny, whatever like that. Right. Um, I always want to try to reward the idea, not the hustle, because then you're right. I really do think about that a lot, that somebody who is a smooth talker, gets to bypass a lot of the roles that a charisma check would be responsible for. Yeah. Because there's a lot of introverted people that play. There's a lot of people who have the idea, they have great ideas, but they're playing the game (laughs) so they can play their characters. I don't ever ask anybody to give me 20 for a strength check. I don't ever ask anyone to show me how far they can backflip. And I don't want, I want people to be able to engage as much as they want to, but uh, that's my thing. I, I want to respect the idea and the brilliance of a play. And I try not to let myself get caught up in the hustle of a look, you and me, we're the same people from different mamas. And like, mm-hmm. that sounds cool. And I love when they play it. I want, I want to encourage that, but I try to encourage that through back and forth role playing. Yeah. And this game will be better through the role playing but in terms of tangible mechanical benefits, I want to reward the idea, not whether or not they can banter with me for five minutes. In this case, asking for the dice roll is your way of presenting them an opportunity for failure because yeah. some people are just so smooth that they can convince the GM. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and I, that's, that's a perfect example too. And they, like, I am a talker. I don't know if you notice this, but I can talk <laughs> a lot. And I'm one of these people where I can talk my way past a a dice roll, and I don't even mean like weaseling around it, right? Where it's like I failed and I'm trying to win. No, I mean like I can just blow right past the point where the GM would ask for the dice roll just with role play and and hustle. Yeah, and I don't think you do it on purpose. No, no, I don't. I I don't know if you notice this either, but you can't stop me from talking. <laughs> but but my wife, on the other hand, is not like that. We, we're a great pair. We really balance each other out in this way. My wife is, is shy, and she she's not like that. But she stops, and like you're saying, she has a lot of ideas, and she, she really has a careful, measured approach to it. So when her characters get into those situations where I would just walk past it verbally talking and and role-playing she kind of runs into a wall and i think that it's incumbent upon game masters to not leverage that against a player like the let's go back to our bouncer idea my wife is playing a she goes up to bouncer b and she wants to talk her character can talk past it if i was playing it boom i just talk talk pad just do my thing talk past it we're good Mm -hmm my wife would would walk up there and she would have trouble i mean she she just does not have that pop of of conversation she's really good ideas 
it is an asshole move as a game master to sit there thinking, man, there hasn't been any failure. This group's succeeding too much. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm just going to twist the knife. I'm going to twist the knife <laughs> on Chad's wife's character because I know she can't talk. And I'm just going to do this long scene where she's got to talk and talk and talk and make these roles and, and just still talk it out. It, 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 that's not the move you want to make, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah. there's a great question in chat right now from, I'm going to try to read it off and how I interpret it. Sergeant Dan USMC 87. And there oh, that a, guy. <laughs> <laughs> we know when him. Should the, when should the rules outweigh the RP? In my opinion, and I, I everything that I have said before this is 100% fact. Did I said <laughs> on the internet, I'm right. It's objectively true, scientifically proven. Control P and then wait a long time. Right. This is when should rules outweigh RP? In my opinion, and with my group, and how I run a game, it should very rarely outweigh, rules should very rarely outweigh RP. Because the way I run and the way my group plays and what I like and what my opinions are is very much focused on the R-O-L-E role play aspect of it that I think that more often than not, rules can be a hindrance. I say opinion because there mm -hmm. isn't a wrong answer for this. It's based on preference and yeah. how your style is and what your group wants. Well, if, me, if I may, then let me ahead. reshape the question because I think that's I think all of us would agree that uh, the way I frame it is the GM in part is a conductor. They are leading their group. They're shaping the experience the way the group needs. But yeah, the way that like when is it personally for you, mm -hmm. and then like Wayne personally for you, because we'd all agree with that, right? That it, you obviously mm -hmm. shape right. experience towards the yeah. group, and I think that's technically the right answer. That you all we all feel out our group. And we deliver the personalized experience that explains why they come to you as a GM. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their group for a reason, but like at your table, Wayne, what is, where do you, where do you throw it around? So when the story would be better served by falling back on the rules or when a character is blatantly out of character with their role playing, they have a charisma of three and they're walking in talking like they are, you know, a charisma of 18 bard. I'm going to slap the rules down because they're not actually role-playing their character. They are ignoring their disadvantage to get past things and, because that's not a fun story anymore for anyone else. And I actually won't do that, but I don't disagree with Wayne. Wayne is 100% correct on this. I just have a, a slightly different, not even a take on it. Wayne's right. I mean, you're, you are correct. My just angle on it. You got it, Wayne. Yep. yep you got it. <laughs> like I said, this is a theory. This is objectively correct. My angle or take on it, just for me, though, is the player wants to play that. You know, they may have rolled this up. They may have been, they, they may have had this going, all these disadvantages, whatever. And it may have actually be, like you said, mechanical disadvantages 
if I don't think they're being a weasel about it, and they're consistent generally, not laser-focused, everybody, you know, if, if we're not professional actors here, if they're generally consistent about it, it's what they want to play. And that's what I want them to play. I want them to play what they want to play. So I don't disagree with you. I just would do it differently. And maybe that is not necessarily the right choice on my part, but mm. it's how I run my games. Yeah, and the way I see it is if it's what they wanted to play, it's not what they built. And there is a conversation that can be had about, you know, was there something you didn't understand about the system? Do we want to tweak your character sheet? You know, you you use this as a dump stat and mm -hmm. you've got other things for it, but you're not paying the penalties for having it. You're yeah. not stretching yourself as a player. Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, I, I think I might be a little more opposite in that I... I tend to fall on rules more than the other side only because I think that I'm hoping that I try to find that balance where like that restriction forces more role play when they find themselves kind of fucked in, in the corner, then they start coming up with something. But if, if you all don't mind, I want to do this other question, which leads into other ones, which is gaming with gauge says, what was your biggest failure tonight on the show? And my biggest failure would be not getting to this really good question next. Thank you so much, Gates, for leading us on <laughs> to young one too, who says, how would the host like to fail? I would like to fail by asking this question by relative D pod, which is <laughs> how do we as GMs get our players to embrace failure? They often can't stand to fail because they see it as a game over, but how do we get them to see that failure is just a different fork in the crossroad they are facing that leads to the next step in the story thank you all for combining and Voltroning into this awesome question, which <laughs> in certain ways might be one of, if not the most important question of the night. Cause at the end of the day, how do we, it's just basically like, how do we better GM? So, so like, I don't know who wants to, who wants to take it. I have, I have two ways of how I get or try to get my players to embrace failure as a means to, to, for better role play and more role play opportunities is one I have. I am lucky. Wayne did say it in the beginning of the episode. I am lucky to have Wayne in my group because Wayne is also, you know, a beloved friend and a great person, but he is also a really good role player and he really embraces failure. And he does the important part too of he turns that failure around and turns it into role play, not advantage, but turns it into role play, role play opportunity that brings in other people. And so that's my number one thing I do is nothing. And I let <laughs> Wayne do it. And I let other players see how much fun Wayne is having. The other thing that I think can be done is when you see a player or no player is embraces failure, give them opportunities and put spotlight on them. Basically, you're showing the other players that when you role play, you get rewards. And I'm not talking rewards of you get a sword plus one and or a rocket launcher to take out your favorite bouncer at a bar. You get spotlight. You get time. You get more 
interesting, dynamic role play interactions. So I they learned something. Balance, though. <laughs> yeah, I learned something in my very first campaign. There was a point in the very first campaign I ever played in where all of the characters, except for Chad's character, got captured. And I had never played a role-playing game before. I'm looking at my sheet, and I have all of this stuff on the sheet, and I'm thinking, this stuff has been taken away. There's, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. If we get out of it, I'm going to lose all my stuff. And what I learned from that experience was that I had the complete wrong mindset but I didn't know it because I'd never gamed. But also, I didn't have that trust built up with the GM yet because it was three sessions in to a GM, and I'd never, not only had I never played, I'd never been with this GM before. So what I try to do first is I want to build that trust with the players. Let them know that when something bad happens, I'm not going to completely screw over their character. You roll badly, you have this one thing that is the important thing on your character. You're playing Thor and you have, you know, Majolner. I'm not going to take it away because you did a bad roll. Because you've built your character around having that one thing. So that's something first is I try to build that trust with them first. But then occasionally reward for failure. You know, let the failure end up being a bigger success than the success would have been to show that sometimes more interesting things can happen when you fail at what you're trying to do. You know, you failed to pick the lock, so now you have to, you know, go up to the roof and look in the, you know, in the, in the skylight and you see, oh, if I would have walked in that front door, there's 15 guys aiming a gun at the front door waiting for me to go through it. But now I can get the drop on them. That then is a twist. You failed, but in the end you've now have a new opportunity because you failed. That's kind of an extreme example, but you know, that's really what I try to do is make those failures lead to something more interesting. I think that's, that's a really good, I think like, like plotting out multiple paths to success, like ahead of time too, really helps. Like that way people don't feel like that was my one exit. You know, I think for me um, to wrap it up, my two tricks, if I had to narrow it down real fast to things that weren't said already, narrator voice, like knowing how to take a half step out. And instead of like, I'm trying to put like, instead of just telling the players exactly what happened, like here's consequence, taking a step back and almost trying to spin the story slightly, like instead of saying the door locks and that's it. Like I sometimes I'll take a step out and like the door locks and now you really find yourself in a situation where you don't know immediately how to get past this door was your only path. And so now you have to start thinking, is there another way to like taking that half step out as a narrator for me has helped a lot of times because it reminds the players that they failed, they fucked up. They they ruined everything. No, uh, but they <laughs> and it takes them a half step out and shows them that there are more things in the area between that and I really think like my other trick is I love having an NPC in the group. Man, it is so hard to do anything uh, for me when there's not an NPC to be like, oh come on now we're gonna like I've had so many times where players if there's no NPC in the group they're like. I guess that's fucking it. Whereas if I have a plucky young uh, halfling who's on the run from a bunch of uh, bounty hunters and they don't know it because this person's in disguise and calls themselves by a different name, and they're like, 
well, okay, I think we've got a be- like having that NPC to kind of lead a little bit, man, between that and narrator voice, those two things help me so much. In- encouragement NPCs are really, really important. In the fifth edition game that, that Wayne and I had mentioned, I had a lot of encouragement NPCs because I had a lot of players who would get, I, I don't, I don't want to say they, they give up easy, but they get really into the game and they get very intensely focused and then they, it, it kind of puts blinders on them. And then when they encounter a problem that's off track, they're like, it's like, you know, the lock, I guess we're done. The door's locked. We can't get through. So they need that NPC to kind of give them that. It's very hard in Blades in the Dark because it's such a hard-ass game. Nobody's your friend. It's hard to get that encouragement NPC in there. I also like the NPC that's the obnoxious or otherwise annoying NPC that they will then want to succeed just to shut them up. <laughs> uh, in... The Dresden Files game, I had a goblin named Blix that would just show up to annoy people sometimes. And I, they loved the character, but their characters hated the character. <laughs> and occasionally they would want to just, you know, they want to get one up on him. At least Chad's character really wanted to get one up on him because he never did. Yep. You just need to add Mr. Mixoplex to the back of your, uh, your background with Superman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so as we wrap up uh, tonight's episode, uh, tell everybody where you can where they can find you. Like our address? Well, you can do that <laughs> if you want to, um, or at least uh, online where they can find what your projects are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am Chad. I'm a host at FearTheBoot.com, and I also have my role-playing games at MorningSky.com, which is Morning, S-K-Y-E, my wife's name is Dawn. My son's name is Sky. So I have morningskystudio.com. And I don't do social media because fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm Wayne on Fear the Boot, just like Chad. Uh, I do do social media, particularly Facebook, uh, with the Fear the Boot groups, the Fear the Con groups. And I also do a comic book podcast, Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. And with that group, I'm getting ready to run a Traveler game that we'll be recording and releasing. And my name is Pedro, the GM and creator of World Walkers, a series of podcasts that feature world hopping chaos. Um, Season two, or sorry, season two of World Walkers Cog, the steam powered one, and season five of our mainline podcast. They both come out this week. Uh, If you don't want to wait, jump on patreon.com slash worldwalkers and get all your goodies now all right well thank you chad pedro and wayne for hosting this week uh thank you to young one two uh gage angry cheese toast sergeant dan for your wonderful questions uh we also had the voltron question which was uh gage and young one two and relative depot all merged (laughs) together um so that was uh that was pretty awesome um, and form to the head. Yeah, right. And uh, thank you all for watching. Uh, next week's hosts are going to be Gage, Chris, and Callie. So uh, we will see you again next time. So everybody have a good night. See you good later. Night.